had to cater an event this evening and would not be able to speak. My first response was, oh, man. <laughs> now, I don't, I don't want to take away um, any time any of us are given the privilege, the responsibility, the honor to share God's word, whether it be with someone who does not know him, or whether it be with our brothers and sisters to encourage and edify, we should embrace that wholeheartedly. Then get on our faces and seek God for what He would want to say. To be here behind this pulpit is, is not a light matter. And I am grateful for the opportunity. I'll tell you what, Pastor Roy has been bringing that meat. Um, man, so I was like, all right. Okay, cool. I'm going to miss Pastor Roy, though. So um, let's pray and let's just jump into it, okay? Ah, oh, Father God, Abba, mm. we are so grateful that we have this opportunity mm, to join together, to seek your face. Not just to seek your hand for provision, but to seek your face. To truly hear from you. Hmm. That we might learn who we are in you. That we might learn and, and be encouraged and emboldened to tell others who they can be in you. So we thank you for that. Holy Spirit, I pray, have your way. Have your way in this place. Just like Pastor Angela says, hide me behind the cross. Not my words, but what you would have your people hear. Cause all of our hearts to be fertile. Fertile ground for your word. That there might be growth. Hmm. We thank you. We praise you. Have your way in this place. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so um, so I really want to honor um, what the Holy Spirit has laid on Pastor Roy's heart and stay in that vein um, because I really do feel, you know, more so than and you know I've been in church the majority of my life. More so, there's there's a there's a burning desire and a tenacity when he speaks. And I feel like he's really been led by the Holy Spirit to give us those foundational principles to make sure that the foundation is solid. And that urgency and that tenacity that I hear from him, I feel, is timely. You know, I don't get caught up in, oh, well, you know, this month Jesus is coming back. But... It is upon us to know. You can know a tree by its fruit. You can tell the signs of the times. So I think it's vital that we really lay hold to and grasp these foundational principles, these concepts, these truths, that our lives might be grounded on them so that the world around us can see there's something different about them. There's something different. There's a peace 
There's a light, there's a joy that I don't know and I want that. That's what salt does. When, when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, salt causes thirst. They should see that we are salt. And we should cause them to thirst for living water that only Jesus can give. So I want to honor that. I want to keep that in the same vein. So I, f- I really pray that what I share with you tonight will kind of shore up and use the tenets that Pastor Roy has been sharing with us. Um, and there were some concepts that I'm going to share with you tonight that um, I got from a pastor named uh, Carter Conlon. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Um, but just taking the concepts of Royal, some, some insights from Pastor Conlon and some insights from our Sunday school lesson. So the focus of that Sunday school lesson is um, how to minister in the Holy Spirit. So that's where we are right now. So I hope that we can just, you'll see, and it'll make sense, and we tie it all together, um, and it'll bless you as we move toward Christmas. Um, Love this time of year. So the title of uh, tonight's message is The Foundation, the Temple, and the Light. Oh, look at you, look at you. Hey, everybody, give Teresa a hand. Give Teresa a hand. Yeah. She's got a she's got a lot going on, making big moves, but still found time uh, to make this. This is amazing. The foundation, the temple, and the light. And um, I want to just simply begin. If we want to start with foundations, go with me to Psalm eleven, verses three through four. Psalm 11, verses 3 through 4. And it says, If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in His holy temple. That's really what I want us to focus on. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold. His eyelids test the sons of men. But I really want us to focus on that. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And the Lord is in his holy temple. So I think if we if we note and we look around us today, I think we see the brokenness of the world around us. Um. We may walk away from the feeling as we interact with people or as we read the news or we read social media, we may walk away with the feeling like no one wants God anymore. We may walk away with the feeling that the foundations have been broken. And if we're honest, I feel that uh, at certain times we may feel that our testimony has fallen down. Has anyone in here ever felt like that? As you look at the world, being honest. Yeah? There's no shame in that. But I'm going to submit to you that that is not the end of the story. And that is ultimately not the truth. And I hope by the end of our time together here this evening, you're able to say, yeah, that's what I see, but here is the truth. If we take a look at it and we feel like that, and we're honest with ourselves, um, that pastor I mentioned, Pastor Conlon, made a statement, and it was kind of like an indictment on the church at present. You know, he, he listed a lot of 
statistics about particular one particular community um, being the nation's leader, only having uh, 30,000 people in the city, 79 Bible-believing churches. And if you did the math on that, you know, that's way over 10% of the um, city's population, you know, being supposedly in Bible-believing churches, but it is the nation's leader in opioid addiction and um, overdoses. And the question is, like, we've got that many people concentrated in a particular area that supposedly know God and are following Him and walking hard after Him. Why are we not seeing the change in the overall society? I do feel that this church is really embraced and no matter what it looks like right now, we're getting those foundations down so that Cyprus will have no excuse because they will have real examples of people who love God and love them. But he said something that I, it was like an indictment. I was like, ooh, that stings. He said, um, it might be that people today do not see the power of God because they know the ineffective lives of those who say they know God. I was like, wow, that's rough. That might be an, an indictment on the fact that maybe there is some brokenness in the foundation. But once again, I'm, it's not where the story ends. If there is a crack, if there is some brokenness in the foundation, it is upon us to do the work of repairing. Now, granted, once again, I want to keep in mind, I'm not one of these people who's all about my works and all this. Ultimately, it is the Holy Spirit. But like we spoke of Sunday in the Sunday school lesson, it is upon us to be obedient to the leading of the voice of the Holy Spirit. And in that repairing, um, as Jesus ascended, he reminded us, if, if, if there is to be some repairing, some work needs to be done, if there are some things that are broken, we have that avenue to begin the repair. When Jesus ascended, he said, repentance and remissions of sins should be preached in his name to all nations. If there's some brokenness that, you know, of, of sin or things that have crept into our lives or idols that we've embraced, we have that avenue of repentance. Boom. First step, all right. I know I don't want this in my life. Let's get the foundations right. I am going to embrace all the things that Pastor Roy's been saying. I am a, a participant in the new covenant. I am the righteousness of God. So these things don't have any place in my life. Father God, I repent. I turn away from them. Now let's get to work repairing the foundations. I want to put my hands to the plow with you. Holy Spirit, I trust you. Let's get to work. And if we do that repairing that's needed, uh, if we get the foundations right, the foundations that Pastor Roy's labored over the past several months, then the temple can be set right. And the light can shine from that temple and once again illuminate the darkened hearts of those around us. And so I've, I've said it before, if you take a look at Israel, I do not believe in replacement theology. Um, this idea that the church has fully replaced Israel, Israel just messed up, I, I don't believe that. But I do believe that Israel is, a, is an example of you know, the, the path that the church 
um, has followed. And where you see things happen with Israel, you can take those as examples or primers or primers for um, what can what has and what can happen with the bride of Christ. So if you want to talk about the foundations, if you will, go with me to Ezra chapter 3. Ezra chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 10 through 13. And so to give a little bit of context, you guys know me, that, that old history teacher type guy, so I don't want to just give a verse and not give the context. Um, I think that's very important. Um, so for this portion of Scripture that we're about to read, I want to keep in mind that Israel had been in captivity for 70 years. And those 70 years, the, a portion of why they were in captivity was because they um, refused to honor the Sabbath. In a lot of ways, they had let idols creep into their lives. They had embraced the gods of the nations around them. And it's easy for us to point the, the finger at Israel and be like, oh, how could you? You know the living God. He split the seas for you. And yeah, yeah. But how many times in our own lives have we run to things that are, that are supposed to give us comfort, give us peace, give us joy, when God says, I'm here and I want to, I want to give you that. Trust me. It's no different. No different than Israel. But they had gone into captivity. They had been in, the, in captivity under the Babylonians for 70 years. And um, in 586 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar II of Babylon went in and totally destroyed the temple of God. Now, that was the temple, and we we'll all know the first temple was the one that God gave the plans to David. But because David, even though he was a man after God's own heart, he did not get to fulfill those plans, though his heart yearned to do it, he did not get to do so because of sin in his life. And that doesn't mean that God disowned him, but God took those plans and allowed Solomon to be the one to actually build the first temple, right? All right, brief history lesson, we got that, right? So 586, Nebuchadnezzar II totally destroys the temple. And the Hebrews, the Israelites, are in captivity in Babylon. Seventy years are fulfilled, and if you really do a deep dive on it, um, the main reason was that 70 years was a fulfillment of the land being laying fallow, laying, having rest, 70 years of Sabbath that they refused to give God willingly. Remember how we go back to our um, message before our offering, that willingness? Excuse me. Because of their lack of willingness, God said, that's okay. I will have my Sabbaths. And for 70 years, that land had its Sabbath. But then God said, hey, it's time for my people to come home. And God put it on King Cyrus's heart to allow a contingency, a group of people from the Israelite nation to go back to Jerusalem and begin rebuilding the temple. Um, so much like I feel the call today in Ezra's time, God was calling, are there a group of people? Could we possibly be that group of people that he's saying, I want you to repair the foundations. Let's get my temple right. And if you'll, if you'll think about it and go back, I don't want us to lose sight. The whole focus of the temple 
was that God's name, the testimony of God, would be known and honored in the earth. So just like in Ezra's time, God's calling. Are there individuals who are ready to repair the foundations and get my temple right? Those people may be sitting right here in this sanctuary. Yeah? So let's check it out. Um, Verse 10. It says, When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, to praise the Lord according to the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. For he is good, for his mercy endures forever towards Israel. Then all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. So as you see here, the beginning of rebuilding was then and is with us, as it is today, to begin with praise. Do you see it? There, there came that, that repentance. They were like, we have forgotten God. We yearn for God while they were in captivity. They said, let's turn away from these things that we have taken um, a hold of and let us once again turn our faces to Yahweh. That's that repentance piece. Then it became um, part of that whole praise piece. And listen, and listen carefully. What was the focus of what they said as they praised him? So in a lot of ways, we, we have our songs and we sing a lot of times of what God has done for us. But the, the heart of praise and worship is to truly focus on Him. The core of their worship and their praise was, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. It's not that we are good, but because God is good. It's not that we deserve it, but because God is good. It's not that we have all that it takes, but because God is good. It is not that uh, we have done everything right, but because His mercy endures forever. And I think the more we get what Pastor Roy has been sharing with us, the more we get that we are in a covenant with Him. That is a marriage thing. That covenant piece is something serious. And the beauty of this particular covenant is that God Himself is the one who seals that covenant. And I've shared it before when I've been given the opportunity to share of every single religion that has ever been a part of our history. There has never been another other than, and and I'll couple the two together because they are one and the same, they are from the same vein, Judaism and Christianity, there is no other religion or system of belief in which the central figure that is to be worshipped sacrificed himself. And that's what Christianity, not religion, but relationship, covenant is. The more we grasp that, the more we see that it is because He is good, because His mercy endures forever. 
That is why we can run to Him. That is why the foundations can be repaired. We may feel that we've messed it all up, but God is good and His mercy endures forever. So with that being said, we see that the foundations were in ruins, but they began to lay that new foundation. And they began it by turning away from things of old and then the immediate response in coming back to God was to praise Him. So let's see how things turned out. Verses 12 through 13. It says, But many of the priests and Levites and heads of the fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first temple, wept with a loud voice when the foundation of this temple was laid before their eyes. Yet many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not discern. They couldn't determine the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the sound was heard afar off. And if you think about it, you've got to see the scene here. Um, so think 70 years. Um, it seemed like people lived a lot longer, biblically speaking. Um, and there were, I think there are reasons for that. But um, you had some guys, some old heads is what we call them. That's what the... Uh, the youth in schools call them today, the old heads. The more I, I think daily it dawns on me more and more that I'm becoming an old head and I'm, I'm so cool with it. Um, but you had them, they were, moan, they were bemoaning. So they're seeing, they had seen the glory of Solomon's temple. And I think that even added to their agony in captivity. And to kind of make that real today, when God's word says that don't be like a dog and return to your own vomit when we have tasted and seen that God is good and then we go back to things. We've known the glory of spending time with Yahweh, of crawling up in our Abba's lap and knowing his love, feeling his love. And we turn to the things of the world that adds to that misery. You're like, oh, man, it doesn't have to be this way. I know how glorious it was. So you've got a whole bunch of old heads who are like. Oh, what is this? Oh, and they're looking at the, the foundation being laid for the new temple. What is this? Oh. But then you had a whole bunch of other people. And I'm not going to say there, there might have been some old heads who were like, no, but you got to think about what's coming. Who had some forward thinking vision. Or maybe some of the younger people who were, you know, just excited. And their shouts were shouts of joy. But you got to think. I think that there are times where, and I know for me, this is a personal confirmation. There are times where I read um, of the first church, the, the Acts 2 Christians, those who were first in, imbued and baptized with the Holy Spirit, and thousands, because of the testimony they are living, thousands are coming to the saving knowledge of Christ in a single day. And I'm, you, you look at your life and you're like, man, I don't look nothing like that. So I, you, could, you could catch yourself being one of those old heads who's just like, wow, I know when I read here what the church is supposed to look like. 
I know what the glory has been. You read Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of fame of their faith. It's like, man, a faith doesn't look like that. But there's that group of people, and that, that, that can be you. You can, you can take every thought captive in the name of Christ and say, yes, I may not see it right now. But I know what God has said about me. Because that group of people who were shouting for joy, they were keeping in mind the promises. They were keeping in mind that the Messiah was to come. And this temple that we are putting our hands together to build right now might just be that temple that the Messiah comes to. We're even getting the opportunity to start over, to rebuild His temple. I am going to shout for joy. And we can do that in our own lives. You want to know how? You want to know how it's possible? You want to say yes? Say yes, I do want to know. Well, I will tell you. If you will, go ahead and uh, turn to Colossians. I'm sorry, Teresa, I don't think this one is in uh, the notes. Holy Spirit dropped this one on me this morning. Um, turn with me, if you will, to Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. Colossians 1, verse 27. It says, To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Uh, That's you and I, if we're not Jews. Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I'm hoping that it all comes together here as we get toward the end here. Um, So we can shout for joy too. Because we have Christ in us, the hope of glory. As the foundations are solidly established, the temple will be built. So what is this temple? Check out Acts 17.24 with me. Acts 17.24. If you uh, have the same notes that I have, it is tab number four in your Bible. Tab number four. Acts 17, 24 says, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. So that temple that Ezra was telling us about, that temple that was rebuilt, yay, we're excited. Let's lay the foundation. Let's build this second temple. We're going to create this place for God. That temple was fully destroyed by the Romans 70 years after Christ ascended to heaven. So after after Jesus gave up his life and then took his life back, rose from the grave and ascended to heaven, 70 years after that, the Romans came in and fully destroyed the temple that they had come out of captivity to rebuild. But here's the joy. We have the hope of Christ in us. And God no longer dwells in temples made by men's hands. Here's the secret. God dwells in the temples He created with His own hands. That should just set you on fire. Check out Revelation 3.20. So, We're saying that he doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. They destroyed the work that they were putting together. 
um, back in Ezra's day. So where does he dwell? Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me. That is the God of the universe speaking to those he formed with his own hands. Those creatures he formed with his own hands. And that's an invitation. And if, whether you're watching via the internet or you're sitting here with me, if you've never responded positively of, yes, I hear you knocking, please come into my life, you don't know what you're missing. Now, here and now. You don't want to miss it at all for the here to come. So what is this new temple? Check out 1 Corinthians 3.16. 1 Corinthians 3.16. It says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? So that foundation has been laid. Pastor Roy has been really kind of helping us understand that. The key foundation here is that you are in covenant with God. He has imbued His righteousness to you because you are the temple of God. And what was the purpose of the temple? We'll go back to what I was sharing with you. What is the overall purpose of the temple? Is it just so that we can brag, hey, you know what? God lives in me. <laughs> hey, buddy. No. The whole focus is so that you being the receptacle, the place, the home of the living God and His Holy Spirit is so that you can bring His name glory. You are in covenant with Him. He has imbued your righteous, His righteousness to you. You are the righteousness of God so that you can bring His name glory. Hmm. Know you not that you are the temple of God and His Holy Spirit dwells in you. We could stay with just that verse and sit in silence and just feel the weight of that. And our response should be, Hallelujah! I praise You! You are worthy! Just the weight of that fact. So I'll say this. We said in the beginning, it sometimes doesn't feel Like I'm what I should be. But you need to remind yourself that you have Christ, the hope of glory. God and His Holy Spirit have chosen, if you have responded to that knocking, and says, yes, come on in. I repent and turn. Let me praise you. Let's lay a foundation. I am your temple. If we're doing that, then all of us taken together, check out Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. All of us taken together. It says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, 
but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. It's good to be here with you. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. I wanted to jump out of my seat or jump out of my skin over near my seat when we were singing tonight. I was like, that's right. Oh, man, that's just confirmation. I was like, Holy Spirit, you're all over it. Yeah. Um, but all of us taken together, we're built on this firm foundation. And Jesus is the cornerstone. And we will be that solid testimony to bring light to the darkened world around us. Do you want some proof? That's where everybody says, yeah. Well, here it is. Check out John 8, 12. John 8, 12 reads, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So we've laid the foundation. Where is God's temple now? Everybody put your hand right here and say right here. Right here. There's no shame in that. There's no arrogance in it. It's truth because we choose to believe His Word, right? The temple is right here. We've got to make sure that there is a light emitting from that temple. And we, we, we trust and rest on the fact that God, Jesus' words are true, right? As uh, Brother Bill was saying about when he watched The Chosen, you can feel it. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, if you follow me, there will be no darkness in you. But you will have the light of life. So that light of life should be shining from our temples. The residence of the living God. And I'll give you one last scripture and uh, we'll bring it to a close. Check out Matthew chapter 5 verse 16. What's the purpose of this light? What's the purpose? You know, it's, and I, I don't want us to just say, oh, all these great things, but what's the purpose? What is the practical application? Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So I hope it's all made sense. That foundation has been laid. It may look like it's been broken. It may feel broken at times. But that's not the truth. That's not where the story ends. The, the repairing of that is taking place. Has taken place. And that temple is being built upon that foundation. You are the temple. I am the temple. There's a light in us that shines forth. And the purpose of it is so that those who are broken around us may see our good deeds, see the things we do because the light is in us, because we are the residents of the living God. And it should bring them to the place to where they acknowledge there's something different about them. Gives you the opportunity to say that something different is Christ in me, the hope of glory. And He can do the same for you. 
Jesus is light, joy, hope, and peace. And you are the temple. And He's in you. So you should be sharing light, joy, hope, and peace with those around you. With that being said, I'm going to leave you with this.